Well, we're turning to Malachi once more tonight uh, for our scripture reading, uh, taking up from chapter 3 and that verse number 6. For I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. May God's word uh, touch our hearts tonight as we, as we think about it. Well, we're coming to another one of these questions that is uh, posed uh, in the book of Malachi. Um, in the reading, they actually ask uh, two questions. They ask, first of all, how shall we return? And then the second one is, how, how have we robbed you? And that's the one that we're mainly going to be thinking about today. And of course, you'll remember that really uh, questions kind of punctuate uh, the whole of this prophecy. They're, 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 they're throughout it. Just let me remind you, uh, for instance, chapter 1 and verse 2. Um, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how? Have you loved us? And then again at one, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, um, uh, You who despise my name, but you say, How have we despised your name? Chapter 2, verse 17, uh, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, How have we, have we wearied him? So there are all these questions that come uh, throughout the course of the book. Now, uh, you you were probably taught at school that there's no such thing as a silly question. You know, questions help you to learn. But in many ways, these these are very silly questions. They're strange questions. Uh, They're very bizarre. And in particular, this one that is asked tonight, how, how have we robbed God? I mean, it's almost as if as they hear that, Malachi, of course, delivers God's message to the people. He says, you're robbing God. And and in reply, they're saying, you know, I don't get it. We don't understand what you're driving at. Um, We don't understand what this is all about. In, in, In what way are we actually robbing God? And, and they just can't understand that this is an issue at all 
It doesn't just dawn on their consciousness that this is anything. They're not getting what he's driving at. Um, for some time I've used what has become known in our surgery as the, uh, the Donald Rumsfeld principle. For those of you who've forgotten, Rumsfeld was uh, George W. Bush's uh, Secretary of State for Defense. And whether or not this was attributed to him or not, we, we use it with our medical students. And uh, it runs something like this. Apparently, this is what he said. He said, uh, knowing what you know is good. Knowing what you don't know is good. But not knowing what you don't know, that's a problem. You know, it's a problem if you're a Secretary of State. It's a problem if you're a student, you know, and you don't know what you don't know. I think this was the problem here, actually. They, they, they didn't realize that there was an issue. They, they did not know that this was a problem. And, and we can, in a sense, all of us, kind of sleepwalk through life and uh, perfectly content with how things are going and the way that we approach things. And then maybe there's some teaching or there's some challenge or criticism even that's made. And rather than just stopping and, and thinking about that, uh, we, we can just respond with a, a, a degree of, of irritation and say, well, you know, what was all that about? In what way does that apply to me? So I think it's important for us when we look at a, an issue like this, you're robbing God. You're robbing God. To, to just stop and see if, if, is this just unsubstantiated criticism? Or, or is there some basis to this? And does the, does the cap fit as far as the people were concerned? And is it a lesson for, for all of us here uh, tonight? So, so that's the question. But I think it's also important to, to understand or to think about the tone in which that issue is, is raised. Because it's not, it's not a kind of fireside chat that Malachi is having uh, with the people. You know, it's something that he's delivering in a very direct, very solemn, almost confrontational way. Uh, the tone is intense. It's not relaxed. Uh, at all. And I always think it is important that when we, we see the tone, that we have to accept it ourselves in the same way. To understand the tone, the serious nature, the direct nature of the tone, and, and, and receive it. Because what he's saying to them is, you need to return. You've got off the right path. You're wandering away somewhere else down another road. And, and you need to come back. You need, you need to return. You need to get on the right path again. I mean, of course, that, that's the concept of repentance, really, isn't it? That's what repentance actually means. And we, we, we remind ourselves that when Jesus began his public ministry, 
when he started to preach in Galilee, I think that was the first thing that he actually said. The very first thing was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And, of course, by the time you get to the very final book in our Bibles, the Lord Jesus is delivering letters to the churches, the seven churches. And in virtually every single one of them, he says the same thing. You need to repent. You need to return. You need to change. You need to get back onto the right path. And, and Malachi is saying the same thing. And so, so this is, this is the tone. And, and of course, we, we all need to be open to, to bi- biblical criticism and open to this, this message about the possibility that we might be robbing God. So, I mean, it does seem like a strange term, that, actually, doesn't it? I mean, we know that God owns everything. God has everything. Remember the psalm that talks about the fact that the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to God. And what can we give to God? God God has absolutely everything. But, But we can still rob him. I mean, we know that, you know, people can rob banks. Individuals can be robbed. The word is used in a variety of ways, of course. You can, you can rob your employer by not giving him your, your decent day's work. Uh, people can have their innocence or their, their childhood robbed, taken away from them. And we can also rob God. And that's what they were accused of. And, you know, of course, we've got to ask ourselves the question, is that something that possibly could be said about us? You're a robber of God. So, in what way were they robbing God? Well, that brings us to the third point. Um, It was in regard to their tithes. You see that down in verse 8. You say, how have we robbed you in your tithes? and contributions. So what I thought would be helpful at this point, and you're going to do a little bit of work here, uh, turning up to a variety of different verses, references, is to just build up the kind of historical understanding of, of what the tithes were that he's talking about here, that they were withholding the tithes and, and the contributions. Okay, so the first, um, the first reference I have for you is in the book of Genesis uh, and in chapter 28. And this, um, it's not the first time the concept is mentioned, but it's one of the clear ones. Uh, it has to do with Jacob. And uh, Jacob is running away from home. He has a vision uh, of God. And as he wakens up from the vision, uh, this is what he says in verse number uh, 22. And he said, you know, this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, called it Bethel. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So the word tithe just means tenth. And, and Jacob's not, you know, at a particular spiritual high at this point in his life. It's a bit of a kind of 
mercenary bargain that he's trying to strike with God. If you do all this for me, then I'll, I'll do this for you, and I'll, and I'll give you a tenth. The point to mention here uh, is that this was something that was, was voluntary, that uh, Jacob decided to do of his free will. And then we meet, as we go through the Bible, times when these things were, were stipulated. They, they were mandatory. Uh, and, and there are a number of headings that we can give over the various tithes that uh, were enacted upon the, 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 the people of Israel. So the next one is in the book of Numbers. Uh, Numbers and chapter 18. I find this interesting. I hope, I hope you do when, when we look at these things. Uh, Numbers 18 um, and verse number 21. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do. Their service in the tent of meeting. And then down to verse 24. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I've given to the Levites for an inheritance. So the idea was this: there was 12 tribes, as you know. One of the tribes, the tribe of, of Levi, was to function in the, in the temple or the tabernacle. And they, their whole duty was in the, the service of, of, of the worship of God. And, and, and they, couldn't, they couldn't work. This was a full-time thing. And so to sustain them in their work, their contribution that went to just their, their way of life came from all of the other tribes. So there was a tax exacted from 11 tribes, and that was given to one tribe. The tenth was given to them. And that's how the Levites and the temple worship uh, functioned. And that was mandatory. It had to happen. So that was what we might call the Levite tithe. Now, you don't need to turn this one up, but uh, I've given you two, and hopefully they've been clear. You'll maybe want to just uh, take the other ones as given. A third tithe was called the festival tithe. And if you want to look it up, it's found in Deuteronomy 14 and verses 28 and 29. And the idea was that, so this was another 10%, by the way. So we've got one 10%, and we have another 10% on top of that. 20% 20% now, and this was um, to help to promote fellowship and unity. So when the worshippers came, and when the priest was with them, and they gave their sacrifice, um, there, there, there was a time of, of festivity and fellowship and joy together, and this tithe helped them do that, helped them eat together when they were there at the temple. So that's the festival tithe. And then the third mandatory one is what you might call the poor tithe. And you read about this one in Deuteronomy 14, um, verse 28. I think I might have said that one for the last one. The last one was Deuteronomy 12. Um, and, And this was for the benefit of the sojourner, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And this was only asked for every three years. 
you read other aspects of it in the book of Leviticus. You remember the story of Ruth, by the way? It gives you a bit of an idea. Ruth, you know, dirt poor. She comes back to Bethlehem and she goes to work in the field um, and, and she picks up the stuff that's left around the edge of the field. That was part of how this tithe worked, that they had to do that. They weren't allowed to reap right to the ends of the fields. They had to leave that for the poor. And that was a form of tithing. And so you have another tithe. So there are three tithes. And on top of all of that, the land every seven years had to lie fallow. And all debts to the poor had to be cancelled completely every seven years. So these are all the mandatory things. If you taught them all up, it's near enough 25% actually. That was a kind of tax or tithe. And on top of the mandatory stuff, there was the free will offerings. You know, when people out of just response to God came and gave something, cost of a bull or a sheep or a goat was a big thing. And yet that was part of what uh, they had to give to God. And so this was the full tithe. All right, so we sometimes think, oh, 10% is a tithe. That's the starting point. Well, it was actually much more than that as far as Israel uh, was concerned. And this was the problem, coming back to Malachi. The full tithe was not being given. All the contributions were not being brought in. And in that sense, they were robbing God. That's the background. That, that's what is meant. Okay. So, we now, we now come to the application. So we say, well, that, that seems a million miles away. Um, you know, we, we are not like that. What, what does this have to do with me? Um, are there any principles? Are there any lessons? Are there any things that can be directly relevant to me as far as this question of potentially robbing God? is concerned. Well, I was having a think about that. I mean, it's a big subject, obviously, but I've jotted down, as you can see, um, four things anyway. And again, I think it'd be useful for us to, at times just to look up some of the references that I've got, just so that you can see uh, where, where I'm coming from. So the first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As far as an application of this point to ourselves is concerned. And uh, you'll see, you know, why I have put as the heading... Uh, you're not your own uh, when we read the verse. So, um, verse 19 of, of 1 Corinthians 6 reads like this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So, I mean, the general principle that's being made here is this, that uh, I belong to Christ. Uh, Christ has, has bought me. We've, we've remembered that tonight with his precious blood. First Peter, we, we have not been redeemed with, with corruptible things like silver or gold. Let, let's remind ourselves about this. We have been redeemed. We have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. And I belong to Christ because he has bought me. I am the property of the Lord Jesus. I'm not my own. And in the context that this is written in 1 Corinthians 6 applies to, to our, our physical bodies. 
That, that's, that's the way that he's using it. If you read down uh, the chapter, it applies to that, but it applies to everything. So, if I belong to him, if I'm not my own, that applies to me, applies to everything that I have. He owns it. It's his property. And so this is a kind of mindset shift that has to be applied to us all as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at ourselves, our bodies, everything that we have, it's Christ's. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And so as far as material things are concerned, you know, the, the, the big concept that is often used here is the idea of, of stewardship. In fact, if you flick back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he uses that, that word. Verse 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Now, he's talking about himself as far as all his ministry, the gospel ministry is concerned. That he, he manages it on behalf of God. It belongs to God and he's, he's, he's lent it. And in the same way, that is how we need to look at our, our possessions as, as stewards. That we are not our own. We are the property of Christ. And, and that, of course, is a challenge to ask ourselves. I wonder, do I, do I actually really think about the things that I have in, in, in that way? Point number two, application number two. We need to look at what we do here and under this heading as being part of our worship of God. You know, we tend to think of, of worship in terms of, you know, praying, uh, of, of singing hymns. We've been involved in worship. They led worship this morning, you know. But, but this is explained... This whole issue about money and giving is explained in terms of, of the worship of God. And, 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 you know, because of lockdown and all the rest of it, I think we've kind of lost sight of that a wee bit because of the way that we donate and, or give money now uh, in a church setting. You know, so rather than it being a, 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 you know, a visual thing, the bag is passed round and you, you put your money in the bag... It's sometimes difficult to remember, you know, donate online or whatever. And, of course, nobody likes to talk about money too much. But it is a form. It's a part of the worship service. That is part of me worshiping God. It's when I give a give to him. Now, let me try and show that to you uh, by some of the verses uh, that I've jotted down here. So the first one is in Philippians uh, chapter 4. Um, I mean, I've jotted down verse 18, but the whole section actually starts at verse 10. You know, Paul's in jail, and uh, he's rejoicing, verse 10, in the Lord, that finally they have been able to um, to share with him again. Um, and, and this is what he said, Epaphroditus had been sent from the church in Philippi, and down at verse 18, I have received full payment and more, I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And then he says this, these gifts, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing 
to God. Now, that's language that's used of the, ta- of the temple or the tabernacle. Sacrifices, offerings, pleasure. And yet, you know, I don't know if he bought a bag of gold with him, Epaphroditus, or he had a couple of well-turned, you know, um, greenbacks or wh- whatever it does. But these things, he said, it's not metal chinking in a bag. It's actually a sacrifice. It's a sweet-smelling aroma that ascends and gives pleasure to God. And so we need to look at things in a slightly different way. It is part of my worship to God. Now, again, uh, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're not just talking, when we come to this verse, about giving only in in kind of monetary terms. So look at look at how it says here. Uh, chapter eight, chapter eight and chapter nine are tremendous chapters actually on this whole subject of giving. It's well worth a look just just reading down both of the chapters together. But look at what he says at the start of chapter eight. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, talk about cost of living crisis. I mean, you know, out of the most severe and extreme poverty, their generosity overflowed. And it wasn't just that. They were being afflicted. They had a severe test of persecution and affliction as well. And yet these people, they wanted, they they begged us earnestly. You see that verse 4? Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They wanted to give for the relief of the the people of God elsewhere. And, And Paul was surprised at how they did this. Because what he says is this, verse 5, Not as we expected, but... They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see, their giving was more than just their money. You know, they gave their time, they gave their ability, they gave themselves to the work of God. We can rob God in a number of ways, you know. And and this is a tremendous example of people who serve And people who worshipped. And this was their expression of it. And so you can understand. So for instance if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 1. Where he says. Oh I want to say a little bit about the collections. About the collection for the saints. On the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside. Store it up as he may prosper. So that there will be no collections Uh, when I come. And this seemed to be the practice uh, of the early church, that uh, it was part of what they did when the church came together on the first day of the week. number of things the church did on the first day of the week, they remembered the Lord. At the same time, as part of it, there was a collection. And it was part of their worship. I find that helpful. The one that we need to be reminded about uh, is, is the fact that um, this whole issue, of course, of money um, is a big temptation to all of us, you know, without exception. And, um, you know, we all know the disrepute uh, 
that um, Christian people, uh, churches, people who have been prominent, you know, in church and Christian circles have fallen into because of the mismanagement or dishonesty as far as, as money is concerned. And, and, and the scripture has a fair amount to say about this. First uh, Timothy is the, the helpful passage here in chapter 6. False teachers that are being talked about in First Timothy 6. And look at what it says at verse number uh, 5. It says that these people imagine that godliness is a means of financial gain. They think, hey, if I get involved here, if I get a bit of prominence, get a bit of you know, reputation, I think I could make something out of this. You know, and, and they look on the whole thing as a way to financial gain. And sadly, you know, these guys still exist in our world today. And so what he's doing in this chapter is he's highlighting the real temptation and the real problem in church circles, Christian circles, as far as, as money is concerned. Now, let's just look at some of them. So, uh, he says that, verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. It reminds me of that old saying. You've probably heard the story. Somebody died, and and they were talking about it, and they said, How much did you leave behind? And the answer, the lot, you know. And that's true for all of us. It will be everything. Everything. We brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world. But if we've got food and clothing, with these we should be content. But those who desire to be rich, who have an ambition to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's a warning, the temptation of money. But money has a a positive thing as well. I mean, if you turn back to chapter 5, just to put this one in, to counterbalance it at verse 17, this was the practice of the early church, and it's something that should guide us. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. That's a financial thing. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And then if you go over to chapter 6, The instructions, the positive instructions for those who are rich, at verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they might take hold of that which is truly life. And that brings us to the last point. The last point being spiritual fruit. You see that if they do this, 
They store up treasure for themselves. Remember, Jesus talked about that. Store your treasure in the bank of heaven. You know, where rust or moths won't contaminate it. It won't fade or spoil, unlike the things on earth. And the the reason I do this, to to bring us back um, to, to Malachi, is that there was fruit that was promised if they brought the whole tithe back into the storehouse. Did you see that? But if you do that, he said, I will open the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing until there is no more need. Just think of that picture, the windows of heaven being opened, not, not in rain, but in blessing. And the description goes on to say that as far as their fields were concerned, um, the devourer, some you know, parasite or bug that destroyed the crops, would be withheld. And uh, the fruit of the soil and the vine shall not fail, says the Lord. I will bless you if you do this. God will not be anybody's debtor. God will repay you if you give to God what is his. Those who honor me, um, I will honor Now, that was true for a nation under God. That kind of thing doesn't exist these days. There is no nation under God in that sense, no theocracy on earth as far as a nation. In a true sense, there is no such thing as a Christian nation. You can't apply the laws that held good in Israel to a nation today in that sense. But the principles are here. I mean, I don't think it... Ne- I mean, sometimes God in his goodness will, of course, bless people materially. But the treasure, the fruit, that principally is being talked about as treasure in heaven. Now, now, we learned about that this morning in Mark chapter 10. You remember when, uh, you know, after the, the rich young ruler, Peter said, Lord, we've left everything uh, to follow you. And, and what was it our Lord said? He said... Peter, let me just quote it so that I get it absolutely right. He said, if you've left houses and uh, brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake in the gospel, you will receive a hundredfold. Now, in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life now what does that mean well what it means is this you use your money for the the kingdom for the lord's work you know you will find that you have brothers and sisters and spiritual fathers and mothers and you will have welcomes into houses here there and everywhere you know because you're part of the fellowship of the church of Christ. You will have all that blessing of spiritual fellowship here in this world and in this life. And there will be treasure in the world that is to come. Now again, let me just develop that one slightly uh, by, by taking you to um, another passage. And this one is in Second uh, Corinthians again, chapter 9. You know, that big passage that I was referring to early on. This is just the kind of final point. And um, what he says there in this passage is this. There is a kind of law 
there is a, there is a spiritual principle. And that spiritual principle uh, runs something uh, like this. That if we sow generously, this is verse 6, we will, we will reap bountifully, is the word that's used here. But if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. Now, he's talking about this, using this imagery, of course it's like a farming imagery, but he's using this in the context of generosity. And the reaping that he's talking about is spiritual blessing. Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that's what the Lord Jesus taught us about. And so there is, there is spiritual fruit that comes from all of this. So, anyway, it's a bigger subject than I've been able to give it justice to. Um, these are some of the applications. Uh, and hopefully, unlike the people who asked the question, scratching their heads, what do you mean, you know, robbing God? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Hopefully we are not doing that tonight now. We realize something about the meaning, the background, and the application uh, as far as we are concerned. The importance of this subject about potentially robbing God. Now shall we pray. So Lord, we come now to give your praise and worship for all your goodness and your many blessings. How richly we have received from you. How much you have given to us in our Lord Jesus and in so many material ways as well. We realize that we have been bought with a price, that we are not our own, that we are to honor you with our substance. And so, Lord, we ask for help and for grace um, to be bountiful in this, this perspective of worshiping you in this way, to have a mindset that attunes ourselves with what we've learned tonight. We pray a blessing as we give our thanks through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.